you know that Keeley Companies is all about fostering the world-class culture through their incredible cultural pillars. Well, it was time to add a seventh cultural pillar, Keeley Green. Guided by the mission to raise the sustainability standards by which they design, build, operate, and live, Keeley Green is dedicated to using a holistic approach to leave a positive impact on our environment, create a future that is sustainable for generations to come. In the words of Rusty Keeley, we are just getting started. You can learn more about that just getting started mentality and all the work they do by visiting my friends at Keeley Companies online at keeleycompanies.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. Aiming to serve others, our guest today, his name is Scott Brickle, has spent more than three decades of his life in guiding some of the most famous artists to develop successful and long-lasting careers in their lives. From successful Christian bands, you would have heard of these guys like Mercy Me and Switchfoot and solo artists like Phil Wickham and Micah Tyler and Matthew West and many, many, many others. Scott's artists have more than 50 number one singles, numerous gold, numerous platinum, and numerous multi-platinum records, multi-Grammy, Dove, American Music Awards, and so much more. Today, Scott shares his accidental introduction to the music industry and the journey from an unpaid road manager, it's a great story, to launching his own management company called Brick House Entertainment. He's going to talk a little bit about the music, a little bit about the faith, a little bit about a movie that he was in, and a little bit about what it means for you in your life. My friends, if you've ever wanted a behind-the-scenes peek into the inner workings of the music industry, well then, this conversation is for you. You're going to love it, so I'm going to encourage you right now to buckle up, grab something to sip on, grab your favorite Live Inspired journal and pen, get ready to take some notes, not only on music and on movies, but on life with my friend and soon-to-be yours, his name, Scott Brickle. Scotty, welcome to Live Inspired with John O'Leary. Thanks for having me. Man, it's an honor to have a celebrity among us today, but I know that part of your story. I don't think you go around leading with it. So if you and I were to bump into each other at a St. Louis Cardinals game, which apparently is possible. It is. And I asked you, man, what, what do you do? How would you respond to that? So I just tell people I, I own a management company. I manage artists. As, as a manager, my job is to be the go-between between the artist and, and everybody that they interact with, whether it's a record label or a producer or the fans or the promoter or the booking agent. You know, I just help move the ball forward uh, with an artist in their career. And when they say, uh, tell me more about that, how, how long before you start name dropping some of the artists you've worked with and some of the challenges you've faced and some of the lessons you've learned? Um, you know, I don't mind getting into conversations with people at all and and just, you know, telling them some of the things that I've learned. And my mom was a teacher. My grandmother was a teacher. My aunt was a teacher. My sister's a teacher. My wife is a teacher. 
And so I've been around it long enough to know that, you know, you just need to pass on the information that you have. And so I love sitting down and just kind of talking to people about, you know, all, all the stories that I have and the experiences that I've had. Ser serving artists is, is kind of the, the theme of what I end up telling people. I just serve artists. And, you know, not always are their, are their ideas good. Yeah. Um, sometimes they've got um, mediocre ideas, but um, we, we got to chase those ideas down to get to the good idea. And so that's what I'm here to do is just help artists with their ideas and try to further their career. You know, sometimes it leads to a dead end, you know, cul-de-sac and you got to turn around and, you know, try to go down a different road. And sometimes it leads to the interstate and you're off to the races. Well, we're going to, we're going to get on the interstate right now. We're going to leave Nashville. It's a little, it's a little too crowded lately for me. So we're going to head up Northwest into a state that I'm a little bit more familiar with, with a little bit uh, more wide open spaces in Missouri, man. You and I were both born here. I was born up in St. Louis. You were born in Poplar Bluff. Correct. Tell our listeners a little bit more about where you were born and, and some of the influences of your life as a child. Yeah. So I grew up in, in Poplar Bluff. We had a, uh, 450 acre farm. I grew up on a cattle ranch, you know, baling hay, hauling hay, feeding cows, vaccinating, castrating, fixing fence, all that kind of stuff. I spent a lot of time on tractors growing up and, uh, and basketball. Those were kind of my two things. There was an artist that, um, I had been on swim team with early on when I was in grade school and he went off to college and became a Christian artist, went to Mizzou, and then showed up at my, uh, at my church camp when I was a junior in high school. And, you know, I was, I was letting everybody else say hi to him after the concert. And I was kind of waiting for, for, uh, for him to, um, you know, get a free minute to just kind of catch up and visit. And I started realizing that all of his gear needed to be packed up. So I just started packing it up. You know, I found his, his keyboard case and figured the keyboard went in that and, you know, the power cord goes in there and the, and the pedal board. And just little by little, I just started putting, you know, his, th his things away. And I probably messed up on a couple of cables or whatever, but um, finally got everything kind of put away and and in his van. And after it was over with, we visited and I just told him, I said, man, anytime, anytime you need any help, feel free to give me a call. I'd love to go out. I said, I'd do it for free. Just, you know, one of the, one of the incentives was when I backed his van up, I realized his van had air conditioning and my dad's <laughs> tractors did not have air conditioning. And so I'm like, you know, I'll go work for free because I'm working for my dad for free anyway. So if I'm going to work for free, I might as well be in air conditioning. <laughs> so we ended up bumping into each other five times that week, that next week. And on the fifth time, uh, he's like, I guess I'm supposed to take you on the road. Wow. And uh, just just a God thing. I mean, I look back on it now and know, uh, absolutely know it was a God thing. Back then, I was a, a high school kid that, you know, didn't view life through that lens per se. So I didn't really connect that, you know, God was, was lining up these five impromptu meetings the next week after I, you know, bumped into him, but you know, that just led to me helping him out for the, you know, for the, uh, the next couple of years on, uh, on weekends, on spring breaks, on Christmas break, on summer break, and, uh, eventually led me to Nashville to meet his manager. After I graduated college, I ended up going to Baylor for a couple of years and, um, yeah, I ended up in Nashville working for his manager and, you know, that uh, is off to the races beginning of my career. Well, and I'm going to slow you down a little bit because I want to, I want to go through this uh, baby steps, man. Okay. What, what most folks don't recognize is when they see their artist up on stage, the amount of effort, the amount of people quietly and diligently working behind the scenes to make it. So putting a show on is work. 
And the one who does the least amount of work is the performer. And that's not a knock against them. <laughs> the people who are typically wearing the jeans or the black on black, man, th those are the guys who are up early before anybody else. And they're out later than anybody else. What was it about that kind of work that you, you found worthy? It felt good to me to serve. I love to help people uh, accomplish their dreams. I, I remember a couple of times the artist that um, I was I was referring to earlier, his name's Brian Becker. You know, he's like most people I know. They they have so many um, so many words they can say before their voice starts to give up and get tired a little bit. And so I would, I just made it my goal to just try to be the go between between him and the 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 youth pastor or the pastor or the camp director or you know, whoever we were there meeting with, I just, you know, I, I tried to let him rest uh, so that he could shine when it was time to shine, you know, whenever, whenever the, the music started and he needed to jump on stage. And so I really, you know, I just, I just really enjoyed doing as much as I could so that they could be prepared to, you know, get up on stage and, you know, it's hard work to get, a, get the artists on stage and to do all the, you know, get the speakers and the lights and, and the merchandise set up and all that, but it's a different kind of hard whenever you're on stage and you've got to lead people for an hour. And I, I've only gotten up on stage a couple of times in my entire career and I'm exhausted. And I, you know, when I come off stage and it's not because I was up there for very long, I could go up and take, say two sentences and it just drains you. <laughs> I wanted my artists that I work with to just have as much energy to give to the crowd that night as they possibly could. And so mm -hmm. that's kind of the, that's kind of the goal. And, and that's where it kind of all started for me was, just serving the artist and, you know, doing as much as I possibly could. When you went off to Baylor, did you know that this is the career path you were on? <laughs> There's no way in a manger that when I went to Baylor, I thought I'd be doing what I'm doing today. <laughs> um, I went to Baylor on a psych uh, degree, well, you know, as a psych major, I thought it was going to, you know, be a, you know, something in the, in the uh, psychology world, you know, I got in there and realized I'm more of a business guy. So I declared business. And then I was doing a, a cost accounting class. And at the end of that, I went up and I was like, man, this is, this is really kind of my wheelhouse. And the guy said, you need to go talk to this one professor because he's starting a degree in production operations management. And awesome. that's more of the quality control, the, the bottleneck studies, the just-in-time inventory, and so, you know, I, I love that degree. I, I, I was the first person to graduate from Baylor with that degree. And I honestly thought, you know, that whenever I got, I graduated, I'd go work for Texas instruments. Like I thought they were, you know, cause they came to Baylor to do interviews. Right. And so I, I got all, you know, I got my suit on and went and had my interview and I was like, okay, well, when's my start date? And they're like, eh, that's not how it works. And a couple of weeks later, I get my uh, thanks, but no thanks letter from Texas Instruments. So I went all the way through school, not even having a clue that I was going to be doing music for the rest of my life. So then what, what attracted you up to Nashville? So after I graduated, I, I helped Brian, continue to help Brian. And he actually, for the, you know, I was a graduate from, from Baylor before he started paying me. And uh, <laughs> I want to say it was 600 bucks a month back then. And I was still working on the farm. So I wasn't just doing, you know, um, just working for him. I was, you know, I, I told him, I said, I'll go out on the road, but between, you know, the days that we go out, I'm going to be working on the farm. So I'm not going to do anything. Like I'm not gonna do any advanced calls. I'm not calling for directions. You know, back then we didn't have GPS. So right. we had to, you know, write down all the directions when you get into town, here's where you go, turn left at the light and all that. So I wasn't doing any of that. I would just literally, you know, show up when it was time to leave. And when we got back, I'd go head back to the, 
the tractors without air conditioning. When we would go through Nashville and, and Brian would meet with his manager, I was like, I don't even want to meet your meet with your manager. I would go get the oil changed in the van. I would go get the tires rotated. I would go clean the van. I would, you know, always found something to do other than, you know, spend time with the manager. I ended up coming to town to meet with Brian and the manager for, for another gig. I just ended up kind of helping the manager with a couple things. And he's like, man, you know, tell me about what you're doing. And I, you know, I didn't even realize I was, I was being interviewed at the time. And next thing you know, he's like, you know, maybe you can come to town and help me during the week and I can fly you out to help Brian on the weekends. And, and that's just kind of how it started. Just, you know, me, you know, realizing that there were more people to help in Nashville other than, than just Brian. And so that's, uh, that's how I ended up here. And you know, that was over 30 years ago. So th- they bring you on full-time, you get a job, you start making eventually more than 600 a month, which is great. I, I, I got up to a thousand a month. Congratulations. Right came, to, came to Nashville. You, you subsequently <laughs> even surpassed that and you no longer uh, are working on the unair conditioned. Uh, that's true. That's true. In Missouri. That's, that's true. Uh, <laughs> along the way, you meet a girl named Stacy. I do. Talk about, let's talk about her. What was it about Stacy? Yeah, I mean, she she and I both worked at a, a Christian sports camp in Branson, Missouri, Camp Canacuck. Uh, we met there the the very first year that both of us went. We were both, uh, we didn't go as uh, campers. We went as, uh, I was a counselor and she worked in the kitchen. And uh, I broke my nose on the trampoline and couldn't do anything but wash dishes. And so that's kind of how we connected. Golly, just such a sweetheart. You know, she she's such a a caring person, a giving person, a nurturing person. And uh, we are, we're married 28 years next Saturday, four kids later. And you know, she's, she's now Dr. Stacy. She got her doctorate a year ago. So that's very exciting. And she is what I call tenacious if she's nothing, but um, she's, she's given me the uh, encouragement to start my own company. Like we, we got pregnant with Jake, my oldest son. And then I started my own, you know, my own management company. I was going to ask and, you about that. It, 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 the timing to me seems like it could not have been worse. Couldn't have been worse, you know? And uh, I went to her and I said, I think I'm supposed to start my own management company. And she's like, do it. And I'm like, yeah, but you just got pregnant. She goes, you know, Lord will figure it out. And uh, so she encouraged me and uh, it, you know, it was, it was, uh, there was some salad, you know, salad days. We call it the salad years, you know, where we, we weren't out eating prime rib every night, but um, we made it through it. And um, she was always very encouraging, you know, during those years. And, you know, to still to this day, you know, she's, She's always told me to chase my dreams and, you know, pursue the things that, that I feel like I'm supposed to. And, uh, even, even a couple of years ago, I got my helicopter rating. So she's like, she was the first one to tell me to, to, uh, you know, go for it. And so I did. So since you won't brag on yourself, I will artists that have been managed by your organization Brickhouse have collectively reached more than 50 number one singles. That's unbelievable. Numerous gold, platinum, multi, multi-platinum records, multiple Grammy, Dove, American Music Awards, and you participated in managing more than 6,500 live shows to date. That's a mouthful. That makes me want to go take a nap, doesn't it? Man, it honestly, (laughs) truly. Nashville is littered with artists that tried but weren't quite successful, but it's also filled with managers and producers and technicians who tried but weren't successful. Why do you think you've had almost three decades of success? I mean, early on, I would have attributed it to uh, the fact that I don't sing. I can't write a song to save my life. I can't play an instrument. And a lot of people come to town wanting to be the artist or wanting to be the musician or the songwriter and things don't work out. So they end up being a manager, but they're always trying to 
you know, continue to put their foot in the door when it comes to writing an album or producing an album um, or, you know, playing on a record or whatever. And I just never had those desires because I knew I wasn't any good at it, you know? Right. And I think that was refreshing to, you know, some of the people that I was around. I was, I was more worried about, you know, do we have insurance for, for this show or, you know, do we have the budget worked out to where we know we're going to make money that weekend or, you know, should we take this show or not? Because, you know, the money's tight or do we need a, a sponsor? Or do we have, you know, room to take all the gear we need or whatever? And I was just always thinking on the business side and, um, and, and never had any inkling to try to help write the song or produce the song or sing on the song or, you know, play on the song or any of that. And not that there's anything wrong with the guys that do that. It just, it just, I think gave me a leg up, you know, when it came to people really trusting me that I was here for one reason. And that was just to help them. Mm. You've been in the business a long time. You've been managing bands for a long time. You've seen some of the greatest successes and managed them. We'll talk about that next. But before we do, what's the difference in your mind between those who ultimately take off bands and singers that we know and can sing back their lyrics to them versus those that seem to fail and fall apart and we wonder where they went? It's it's multi-layered. It starts off, in my opinion, uh, with your childhood and and getting a good foundation uh, on a balanced life. Um, I recently kind of used the analogy of what you want to do as a new artist is get your own plane in the air, get it flying, but make sure that it's ready for a, a major label to strap jet engines to it. When those jet engines ignite, that your plane's not going to disintegrate in midair. I think we all could probably point to some instances where planes were in the, you know, got in the air on their own. And then, you know, here comes a major label and they strap some jet engines on it and, you know, they hit the go button and it starts off real smooth and all of a sudden, poof, it just, you know, disintegrates and, and go and blows up into a million pieces. And to me, that just goes back to, you know, making sure that you're starting, you know, foundationally with, you know, making sure spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, like you're, you're living a balanced life. And, um, honestly, like I, I say this uh, several times to several people, like you want to be a good hang. Hmm. Like if you're not a good hang, you're not going to make it in Nashville. You could be the best singer in the world, but if, if people can't hang out with you on a bus, for the other 23 hours of the day, you know, of, of the rest of the day, Interesting. then you're, you know, you're not going to have anybody that wants to go out with you, or you're not going to have a manager that wants to work with you or a booking agent or a record label or an A&R guy or anybody. So you just, you know, you, you gotta be a good hang. And that's not just the artist. That's, that's Everybody. the road manager, the drummer, you know, the, the front of house engineer, like, you know, being a good hang is, is really an important part of, uh, of, you know, being a successful business person in Nashville at, at any level. I'm curious about technology because it used to require you to go into a fancy studio in some expensive uh, building to record a song and then to get the radio folks in and then to promote it the right way. And, and then along came digital and then along came social and then along came YouTube. And then along came the opportunity in your own bedroom upstairs while your family's downstairs cleaning the dishes for you to record a song that goes big. So is it easier and maybe it's both or more difficult to begin building a career and sustain that career now with the changes in technology than it was when you started? It's definitely easier to start a career. Like you said, you can record a song and get it up on, you know, multiple platforms, you know, within a day or two. 
but that has created so much noise and so many other, you know, artists that are out there trying to do the same thing. I don't know the percentages. I don't know the numbers, but I, I think I heard at one point there's like 30,000 songs uploaded every day. Wow. Um, and it's just, you know, the, the amount of noise that that creates, like it's, it's almost next to impossible to, uh, to rise above, you know, the, the, the mayhem and, and get into getting attention. And so, you know, labels are still important. They're one way for a radio station to look at, you know, some music and go, okay, this has at least gotten through a couple of uh, layers of approval. You know, an A&R guy likes it, uh, a label president likes it, right. you know, the radio team likes it. And so it's an easier way for them to, you know, decide to add a song to their station. You know, a programming director at a, at a late, at a uh, radio station, isn't looking for a reason to say yes, to add a song to their station. They're looking for any reason to say no, if you're not signed to a label, there's one reason. And so they, you know, a lot of stations, program directors won't even listen to your music unless you're signed to a label and, you know, program directors are programming for their station, but you know, how many other people are looking at that, that radio stations, um, playlist and going, Oh, okay, well, if they're going to play it then I'm going to play it or I'm going to add it to my playlist or I'm going to put it on, you know, my top 10, you know, up and coming or whatever. And so it's not hard to launch a career. It's, it's, it's more difficult in my opinion to, to make it and, and to have what I call a 10 year career. Mm. Well, someone that you helped launch into a career and a successful one is audio adrenaline. You're, you're leading them and managing them and they're doing great things on the road. And our listeners would know numerous of their songs but it's on one of these touring events where you meet a kid named Bart. Would you talk about that, that first encounter with Bart and just kind of back in and tell us a little bit of his story. I was working with audio adrenaline. I was, I was their day-to-day -day manager at a company called true artist management. And, um, we, it was, it was early on in working with audio and we had a, a gig come up to go to Shawnee, Oklahoma, to Oklahoma Baptist university and, and play at their, at, in their chapel one, you know, do an evening concert and I want to say it was like a back to school event for, for, um, Oklahoma Baptist. We, you know, we had the, the gig all, you know, contracted and, and everything. And I got contacted by the student activities director and she said, um, Hey, we've got a local act that would like for you, for, you know, you to consider to open. And we had just been through a summer of local acts, uh, with audio adrenaline and they were all bad. Um, and <laughs> And so we, we actually like literally the week before had had a, a meeting with audio adrenaline and we said, okay, no more local openers. Like, you know, that, that ship has sailed. We're not doing that anymore because of just how bad they were. And uh, side note, some, some of the time, you know, the, the youth pastor that had the local opener was in the group, yeah, was sure. like the lead singer, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> right. Failed to mention that early on in the conversation. I just, I found out like, as he's walking on stage to do sound check. Oh, you, wait, you're the guy who booked us and you're the lead singer of the opening act. So anyway, I said, you know, you can send a cassette and and we'll listen to it. But honestly, like, you know, we feel like we got a pretty good night of, of uh, entertainment and, and we don't really need to fill more space. And uh, she's like, all right, well, I really want you to consider it. So she sent me a cassette. I listened to it. It wasn't that good. You know, the music was not, you know, over the top or anything. And so I called her back and I was just like, I don't think this is going to work out. And she's like, well, I don't, I don't want to have to cancel the show. And I was like, oh, you're, are you going to cancel the show if I don't let this opening act, you know? And she goes, I don't want to have to say that. And I was like, 
Well, I, I guess they're opening, you know, if you're going to, you're going to put it to me like that, you know, we let them open. Uh, I was pretty stern as far as I wasn't going to let them, you know, use any of our band gear after audio adrenaline got done sound checking. I said, we're going to leave our gear where it's at. We're not going to move things out of your way. I knew that based on when we were arriving and how long it was going to take to set up all of our gear that we would only have, you know, a short window for them to do sound check. And honestly, I didn't see how they were going to get it done before doors opened. And I, I wasn't going to hold doors for them. So they were going to have to sound check as the crowd was walking in. And sure enough, that's how it happened. But it was mercy me. I walked up to the promoter lady at the end of the first song and I was going to give her the old, I told you so, like these guys are really bad. And I couldn't because they were really good. I sat there and watched their whole set and you know, Bart was very engaging with the crowd and, and funny and, and the dude could sing, you know, there's no doubt about it. And so afterwards I went up and, and, uh, you know, just, we chatted backstage while Audio Adrenaline was doing their set. And I just gave him a card and I said, if you ever need any help, you know, don't hesitate to call. I said, I know you can't afford a manager right now, but you know, if you, if you got a decision to make and you need a, a third party's opinion, I said, give me a call. And, um, I want to say Bart probably called me once a month for the first year, once a week for the second year and about once a day for the third year. And that's, you know, that's when he wrote Imagine. And that's, so that's when we really started with Mercy Mead. I can only imagine what it will be like when I walk by your side. I can only imagine what my eyes will see when your face is before me. I can only imagine. Just the sweetest guys, you know, they all had servants' hearts whenever I first met them. They were all, you know, super excited to be there. And you could tell they'd been doing it a little a little while and knew what they were doing. You know, they weren't, you know, just up there throwing it together. So again, I look back and realize how the Lord lined all that up. And I'm just out there working hard, you know. So I didn't I didn't really catch it, but um it has definitely worked out. Mm. First time you heard this song, I can only imagine. Did it move you the way it moves me every time I hear that opening few piano keystrokes? Like, did, did you know right away? My gosh, I think we have a song here. Yeah, I'm again. I'm not a. I'm not a songwriter. I'm not a you know producer. But when I first heard that song, I listened to it for about ten times in a row, and was just you know moved every time. And I was like, holy cow, this is this song's amazing, and you know, got a hold of Bart and I was like, man, you know, I can see why Amy, Amy wants to, you know, cut it. And, and we just talked through it and, um, just felt like that was the right thing to do is let her, let her, you know, let her cut it. And as you know, we put together the marketing plan, it, it was clear that, you know, she, she was taking a little bit longer than we all wanted her to, to, to get the song out. And so she gave it back to the band and, you know, the rest is history. But, um, yeah, when I first heard the song, like it, it doesn't take a, a, a great producer to hear that that's a that's a great song and i didn't i mean i don't think anybody could have given it the attention or or the consideration that it ended up getting as far as being a a, a, a christian hit and then a couple of years after that being a mainstream hit and then you know a decade and a half later coming out as a movie and just all that kind of stuff so you know no one realized it was going to be the number one song in the history of christian music uh, which it has it, turned into but um I mean, I've never listened to another song 10 times in a row. You know, I knew I knew it had something. Well, let, let's talk about your coming out party, man. You mentioned it, it went on to have a little bit of success as a song. 
and then eventually turn into a movie. If our listeners haven't yet watched it, I strongly encourage you to check out the movie. I can only imagine. It is awesome. You'll also meet a good-looking manager in that movie. And man, I got to be honest, when I saw the movie, I assumed that that was a fictional character. Mm-hmm. I did not know I'd be recording a podcast with the dude today. <laughs> so uh, Trace Atkins p- plays you. He does. And uh, just for the record, I'm a lot better looking than Trace Atkins in real I mean, it's, life. It's a coin toss. <laughs> Flip the coin and uh, let's see which way it lands. But you guys are both very good looking men. In what world does your life get turned into a movie? And then does a guy like Trace end up playing you? And not only that, but Bart's a convicting character and his dad's a convicting character. They're all great, but there's something about that manager that just holds the whole story together. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was an honor for sure to have Trey step in and portray me in the movie. I, uh, when they first mentioned it, I was like, yeah, sure. Right. That's going to happen. But, um, as I, as we kind of got into it, I realized that the, uh, the Irwin brothers who, you know, I was, you know, they're the ones who kind of pulled it all together. And I think they did an amazing job on the, on the movie, but, um, they had worked with trace before. And so they had a relationship with him. And, uh, when they first approached him about playing, me, like he was a little concerned because he doesn't feel like his, his life choices, you know, have really led to the point where he should be allowed to play a Christian manager. And so once they kind of set him, you know, set him straight on, you know, I'm not that great of a guy. <laughs> He's like, okay, well, I guess I can do it. But yeah, the first time we met was on set and, uh, he showed up early, uh, on a day that, um, he was going to, uh, shoot some scenes that night. And so we pretty much had all day to just sit uh, in director's chairs, watch the monitors. You know, they gave us some headphones to listen to, you know, the audio that was being recorded. And between, you know, between takes, they take about, you know, 20 minutes to reset the scene before they'll do another take. And so we just sat there all day and got to know each other. And, you know, we're both cut from the same cloth. We, We both grew up on farms. We both played sports in college. And we both really don't care what people think about us. And so... You know, we, we got, we got along, uh, really well. We had lunch together and, you know, just talked about different injuries that we've had over the years and things like that. And he's like, man, this is going to be easy because he's had a manager, you know, he, you don't need to explain to him what a manager is and, and what their jobs are. And, and I want to say through the whole, um, recording, I was on set 18 days. They shot 28 days. And I want to say trace was there maybe 12 days or something. And all the days that he shot, I was there. I only had to like interject maybe once or twice um, on, you know, hey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it quite like that, or I wouldn't be quite as harsh. Um, and 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 Trace, you know, to, and I found this out about Trace. Um, he starts at the hardest, and then he'll back down with each take until we kind of they figure out, you know, where he needs to be. But he likes to come really hard in the beginning if it, you know, if it requires emotion, he'll he'll bring yeah. the the most emotion on the first take. And so, um, yeah, I just jumped in and I'm like, Hey, I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite talk to Bart like that. And so, you know, we, we figured a couple of things out like that, but yeah, I mean, for, for that to end up happening and, and even like the weirdest part was everybody else got a 20 year younger version of themselves and, and Trace is six years older than me. And I was like, Andy, like to the Irwin brothers, I was like, guys, like, you know, what's the deal? Like everybody gets these younger versions and they're like, well, it doesn't, you know, they, they try to, they think through things like, you know, what would be distracting. And if you take me and back me up 20 years, like I was a little too young 
to be able to, you know, do the, some of the things I was yes. doing and, and, and have some of the wisdom that I had. And so they're like, you know, we need you to have a couple of years on you. And, and Trace is kind of right in that wheelhouse. And so once, once they explained that to me, I was all in, you know, and, and since then, you know, Trace has been over to the house for Thanksgiving and, you know, we've gone out to eat a couple of times and he invited me to the, uh, the Grand Ole Opry when he was uh, playing down there. Me and my wife went down and hung out with he and his wife and just the greatest dude, you know, just laid back and, and loves, loves to have a good time and, 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 you know, loves his wife, obviously. And it's been a, uh, a crazy experience. Um, and, and also the fact that I'm still managing the band, you know, like this isn't Apollo 13 where everybody's retired, you know, like, we're not like, you know, we're not either half, half of us are gone or we're all retired. Like I'm still like, this is an, an everyday thing. And, and I'll go to shows, and I'll see people kind of looked at me as I'm walking by in the, in the lobby and they'll, they're kind of like, I think that's him, but they, they usually won't come up and talk to me because of the beard. They, they think I'm, it scares me. I've, <laughs> I've been nervous in every question I ask you. I'm just glad you're on zoom right now. Right. <laughs> so as you look back at this career, man, and managing these bands and mercy me and the movie and now the book and the marriage and four kids and this life that would have been unimaginable bailing hay as a teenager and just who dreams that big uh, what do you I say don't, how, I how don't. do you make sense out of this i remember sitting in a in a classroom in poplar buff missouri and going i wonder what i'm going to do for a living you know like i wonder and i, I just got it i just kind of thought you know who's who has the coolest job and honestly it was uh, denver kennedy he was a local state farm agent and, you know, he, he sponsored all of our sporting events in high school. He had a Harley, he had a boat, he had a swimming pool. He had a pretty wife. He had some, you know, some cool kids. And I was like, I think I want to be a state farm agent and nothing against being a state farm agent because, you know, that's a great gig. Um, but that was kind of me dreaming big. And, um, through that, I was like, you know what, that's kind of where, where my goals are, or that's, you know, kind of a bar for me to, to work towards, but, I think what I'm going to do is just wake up every morning and ask God what I'm supposed to do today. That's kind of where it started for me. And I still do that to this day. And and that doesn't mean I, I change my flight. Like it's just while I'm going to my flight or while I'm going to my meetings, like looking for God and throughout the day and where he wants me to, to step in and say something or to think about something or to help somebody out. You know, he's taken me on a crazy ride, not only career wise, but you know, just, to a bunch of different countries and you know the, the 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 amount of shows that we've done as a company like i when when i first started my company i'd have never thought in a million years that I'd, I'd end up doing that many shows and we're not done you know i'm still working with brand new artists today and uh and loving every minute of it and just you know if if you if you commit to uh, a, a life of following christ like hold on because it's going to be a fun ride and you know he made us right you know he knows how many hairs we have on our head and i got a lot of them i don't know if you can see the the, the flow <laughs> going back there um it's but, good, man. that's a lot to count. <laughs> but he uh you know he made us and he knows he knows how what, how he wired us and of course you know he wants what's best for us and so if you literally let him lead and and you just you know follow and and for me, it's serving, you know, that's, that's just the, that's just, you know, how, how I view life. How can I serve uh, my kids? How can I serve my wife? How can I serve my artists? How can I serve my neighbors? 
there's a quote from someone, I can't remember who it is, but he said, if you're, if you're called to serve, never stoop to be a king. And uh, to me, that's just, you know, that's just something that I've always kind of thought about. And I've never been one to want the limelight. I've never been one to, you know, try to step on stage and introduce my artists or any of that kind of stuff. Like I just love being, you know, off to the side, backstage, behind the scenes, and, uh, you know, making sure that everything can smoke, can flow as smoothly as possible for my artist. Hmm. Scott, I just so enjoyed hearing your story and I so enjoyed reading the book. It's called The Business Behind the Song, Navigating a Career in the Music Industry. It's really well done. It's a life well lived. We have seven questions that tether all of our managers and actors and musicians and astronauts and leaders of, of society together. They're called the Live Inspired Seven. Okay. So my friend, uh, take a big swig of coffee, get ready to rock and roll. <laughs> Question number one, what's been the most influential book you've ever read? So the Bible. The Bible. Is there a book within the Bible that you find most meaningful? Uh, different ones, some verses like first John four, seven and eight, uh, beloved, let us love one another. Um, I love that verse. Um, it's, you know, it kind of goes along with serving, like you can't serve somebody you don't love and it's, it's hard to love, uh, you know, some people sometimes, but if you, if you start by serving them, then you'll learn how to love them. So that's definitely one. I, I love the story of Job and the whole book of Job. Like to me, like, I don't even know if I get through, through this with a, without crying, but, you know, kind of at the end of Job's situation and he, he questions God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, God's like, where were you? you know, like that's, you know, whenever, whenever I, I, I think about that, like, you know, who are we to question God, you know? And, and, uh, I just, I, I mean, if I was Job and I was sitting there and I was like, you know, asking God that, and he launched, he, you know, he, he came back at me with, where were you when I made the earth? Where were you when I, you know, formed the mountains? Where were you when I put feathers on bird, you know, like all the things that he says, and he just doesn't stop. He just keeps going. He just like, where were you? And where were you? And where were you? And man, that, that gets me all the time. So mm. that's awesome. those are, those are some nuggets that I go to and, and have lived by. Thank you. What, what's one positive characteristic or one trait that you possessed as a little kid growing up in Poplar Bluff, Missouri, that you wish you exhibited as brilliantly today? Just unconditional love. Like when you're a kid, you don't even care. You just, you know, you love everybody. You, you love everybody at church, you know, and you grow older and you realize there's church politics, you know, and not everybody loves everybody at church. And and to me, that's, uh, that's sad. So um, I just, I just, love the unconditional love that I had when I was younger and, mm. and didn't, didn't get into, you know, any of that other HOA shenanigans or, you know, <laughs> all that other stuff. If your home caught fire and your wife and four babies and all the pets are out and you have an opportunity of running in and grabbing one item, one thing that really matters to you, what would you grab? Man, if my wife and my kids are out, um, I mean, if I had to put, I mean, nothing really matters. I mean, we've got, I've got, you know, maybe my son's uh, jersey right here, the, his state championship football jersey, or maybe some of my daughter's trophies from, you know, beauty pageant she's been in, or maybe my wife's doctorate. I'd probably grab that that off the, off the wall. She spent eight years working on that thing. So um, I just want our listeners to know that this dude has every 
every trophy you can stack up in music. And uh, he's running in for his kid's jersey and his wife's doctorate certificate. Uh, it tells me a lot about the guy we're interviewing and the guy producing this beautiful music. It's awesome. If you could sit on a bench on a gorgeous day and have a long conversation with anybody living or deceased, who do you want to be seated next to? I'm, I'm assuming you're taking God and Jesus out of the equation. Um, you know, probably Billy Graham, you know, chat with that dude. I've talked to him a couple times, um, but it was always in a setting where there were, you know, other people and a lot going on. And so, you know, probably, probably Billy Graham, several characters in the Bible, you know, I'd, I'd love to visit with Moses a little bit, you know, what he was thinking whenever he was called to lead. And he's like, I don't, I'm a, I'm a stutterer, you know, like I, I can't do this. And, and, um, cause that's the way I feel a lot. Like I, you know, even when I was done with the book, I was like, I'm not qualified to write a book, you know, like what, nobody cares what I think. Maybe chat with, with Moses a little bit. What's the best advice Moses or your mother or anybody else ever gave you? So the best advice you've ever received is? Probably my grandma, um, do the next right thing. Wow. She was 99 and a half when she passed away. You know, we got to the point where we're like, okay, she's going to make it. So we started planning her hundredth birthday party and she's like, no, nah, I'm out. <laughs> So, so she went ahead and, and, and went on, but, um, yeah, she was always very forgiving of herself. She taught uh, Sunday school for 60 something years, you know, and, um, uh, in the same church, she sort of introduced grace to me mm. before I, you know, I, I had a, 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 an understanding of it. And she's just like, Hey, you're going to mess up. Like, you know, you're going to mess up millions of times in your lifetime, like several times a day. And uh, you can't worry about it. Just go on and do the next right thing. So tell me if you got in a tour bus and and headed west and then a little south into Baylor University and had some chance opportunity to give yourself at age 20 some advice. If you could go back in time, what would you say to yourself? Age 20. Um, don't worry about all the little things. You know, when the Bible says, you know, don't worry about tomorrow because, to, you know, tomorrow's got enough things to worry about. Like just, just deal with today and be, be present in today. And, you know, I remember trying to, you know, figure out my life and figure out how this was going to work. And I probably got married a couple of years later than I should have. Cause I worried about making sure I had everything lined up. I probably had kids a little bit later than I should have started having kids. Cause I was worried about, you know, making sure I was going to be able to feed them. And, um, you know, those are, those are two regrets I have is not getting married uh, earlier and, and start to have kids earlier. Um, so yeah, maybe just don't, don't worry, just, you know, and, and enjoy where you're at and know that if God, you know, God says he's going to feed the sparrows. So, you know, he's going to take care of us. Scott Brickle, it has been said, my friend, that all great people can have their lives summed up in one sentence. How would you like yours to read? He served well. Scott Brickle, author, manager, father, husband, son, friend, and overall great guy. You did indeed serve well, and it has been an honor having you on our show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. This has been fun. My friends, that is the great legendary voice of Scott Brickle. My name is John O'Leary, and today is your day. What a gift. Don't waste it. Live inspired. Notice the word woven so seamlessly into today's conversation. Serve. It was serve. 
Scott Brickell's purpose is to serve. The reason for his success is because he serves well and authentically and lovingly. Scott did not grow up hoping to make it big in the music industry. He simply wanted to serve a friend. He's not waking up each day expecting one of his artists to release a multi-platinum record. Instead, he's using his talents to help others in their success. He's helping use his talents to serve them. Some of my favorite Live Inspired podcast guests have been the musicians, the producers, and the songwriters we've been fortunate to welcome onto our program. We've welcomed so many, had an entire playlist actually dedicated to them. You want to hear the behind-the-scenes stories from music's brightest minds, including Christian music superstar Stephen Curtis Chapman. That's an amazing episode. Or my friend Lauren Daigle, who's also remarkable. Journeys. We got Journey in the house, people. Jonathan Kane, Country stars Walker Hayes and Sarah Evans and many more. Then why not check out our Live Inspired Musicians playlist? Let it be the song track to guide you through your summertime. You're going to love it. You can learn more by visiting me right now at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. At the bottom of this list, we're going to have a link to that entire playlist. You're going to love it. So check it out one more time at johnolearyinspires.com forward slash podcast. My friends, I want to thank you for being part of our Live Inspired community. I want to thank you for rocking out with us on this journey forward. And I want to remind you that your life is precious, that you are a gift, and that your best is yet to come. So for this time, and until next time, keep serving and live inspired. Kelly Companies, it is no secret that they believe in the power of people. In an effort to help their Achilleans get to know each other a little bit better, they decided to launch the Who Do You Know campaign. The goal was simple. Achilleans were encouraged to have a conversation with someone outside of their circle. That's it. These conversations, however, have brought people together and farthered their world-class culture. Shout out to the Keelians who have made an effort to have meaningful conversations with new friends. You can learn more about those conversations, about those amazing friends, by visiting them online at Keely Company.